What got you there with got you got you What got you there with Shonda Laney got you there with Shonda Laney What got you there with Shonda Laney got you there with Shonda Laney What got you there with Shonda Laney Brandon Schneider is the chief revenue officer of the Golden State Warriors and part owner of the Major League Soccer Los Angeles Football Club Schneider, who was named to the Sports Business Journal's 40 Under 40 list in 2017, started his career with the Warriors in 2002 and most recently served as a senior vice president of business development. Under Schneider's leadership, the Warriors have 273 consecutive sellouts, a season ticket priority waitlist of over 43,000 members, and led the NBA in merchandise sales, both online and in the arena, each of the past three seasons. On this episode, Brandon talks about building a world-class organization, how he has grown in his career, and some of the people who have helped him along the way. Hey guys, I want to tell you about the brand I'm obsessed with right now. And you guys know I'm pretty obsessive about the brands I work with, especially when it comes to athletic apparel. You guys need to check out 10,000. You need to head to 10,000.cc and you guys can enter code WGYT and you're going to receive 20%, yes, 20% off your entire order. Why do I love 10,000? 10,000 created the only training shorts you'll ever need. They do so by simplifying your options to deliver three premium shorts that perfectly cover all the ways you train. They have one built for versatility, another for durability, and one super lightweight, perfect for one of those runs or whatever else you do for fitness. No matter what you do, they have you covered. CrossFit, running, spin, yoga, lifting, or your weekend adventure, it doesn't matter what you do for fitness. They have a short for every way you train. They make it super simple, too, to find the right short. Just pick the short that's best for you, your lifestyle, personalize it with your individual needs with a custom liner and inseam options, and start getting after it. Not sure if they have the right short? No need to worry, you guys. Make a return or exchange. They offer free shipping, free exchanges, and free returns on every order. Like I said, 10,000 is my favorite brand right now. I am wearing their apparel all the time when I'm working out. I can't recommend them enough. Head to 10,000.cc, enter code WGYT, and you've got 20% off your entire order. You guys know how much I love travel. So I think you're really going to like this next brand. That brand is Globekick. Head to globekick.com, check out what they've got going on, and you can also enter code WGYT to receive 10% off. Globekick makes your travel dreams a reality. They make it easy to discover, plan, and enjoy unforgettable adventures. And you're wondering what some of those adventures are? How about a yoga retreat in Italy? Cage diving with great whites in South Africa? Or their most recent trip was dog sledding and chasing the Northern Lights. Yes, they saw the Northern Lights. I think you guys would love checking them out. So head to globekick.com, enter code WGYT, and you've got 10% off. Brendan, welcome to What Got You There. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you doing, Sean? I am doing very well. Very much looking forward to this call. We were just discussing a minute ago how busy you must be right now. And we're going to get into, into the current state of, of your career and, and what the Golden State Warriors are doing. But I want to know, you have an econ degree from UCLA. What led you to the NBA and not VC or Wall Street? <laughs> it's a good question. So, so I graduated from UCLA uh, 2001, as you noted, business economics major, accounting minor. Uh, if you think back to that time, uh, the economy wasn't great. Stock market had just uh, crashed. 
So, I, you know, I was out interviewing for jobs. I thought I'd be like an investment banker or venture capitalist or something. And in retrospect, maybe I should have followed one of those paths. Um, half kidding. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, so, I, so I'm out looking for jobs, good, good connections. And, and Merrill Lynch, Morgan Stanley, Lehman Brothers at the time, companies like that. And, you know, they're like, look, Brandon, we'd, we'd love to hire you, but we're actually, we're, we're firing people. <laughs> you know, we're, 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 cutting, we're cutting down. So it wasn't the best environment to be in that industry. And I was at a Giants game um, with a family friend who was the general manager at Fox Sports Net at the time, a guy by the name of Jeff Krolik, unbelievable guy. And he knew I was, I had just started kind of looking for jobs, had just graduated. And he said, I can put in a word for you with the Giants or, or with the Warriors. And I was like, that would be great. And I don't know, you know, I, I, I probably had my head in the sand at the time. So I, I didn't realize you could make a career in sports if you weren't, you know, six foot eight and could shoot threes or, you know, whatever that is, which I couldn't do. And I'm not. Um, so I, I never heard from the giants, um, heard back from the president's assistant with the Warriors. So I came in to interview with the president of the golden state warriors guy by the name of Robert Rowell at the time who we called Bobby. And so I put on one of my dad's suits, uh, went into his office. I was 22 years old and, uh, he, you know, we, we had a good conversation. He asked me if I could sell, um, and I was like, sure. And, you know, we rapped about the team. He introduced me to the, to the ticket folks. And by the time I left that day, he had, they had offered me a, a job selling tickets for the Warriors. So I, I didn't, <clears throat> it wasn't a planned thing. And I think it, it's, you know, it's people, you know, when you're, when you're providing advice for people trying to, to get the first job or to get into certain fields, one of the things I, I often tell people is sometimes it's more who, you know, than what, you know, um, not that you shouldn't, you know, obviously do the right things and get the right knowledge. I mean, you have to have that, but I think the working assumption is everybody has that. So, you know, the, the, the networking is, is an important differentiator. So long winded way to say, I, I didn't purposely go to work in the NBA. I kind of fell into it and it, and, and it's kind of worked out since. No, I loved hearing all about that. I, I'm thinking about a network perspective. We have young listeners on the show. A lot of times, how do you build on those relationships? How do you create that network? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I think it's, it's being opportunistic and, and just doing kind of doing things the right way. I mean, in this case, the, when I say family friend, Jeff Krolik, um, and you know, as I got to him, I didn't even really know what his job uh, was or what he did initially, but my youngest brother, I have three little brothers. My youngest brother played soccer with his son. And so I went to my brother's soccer games at times and got to know Jeff a little bit. Um, and then kind of learned what his job was and hence the invitation to, to the Giants game. We were in a suite at the Giants game when we had the conversation I alluded to. But, you know, so I think it's using all the opportunities you have. I mean, in, in, our, in my case, family, you know, my dad was always an entrepreneur, so in business. Um, and so, you know, you just you, you do things the right way and you get to know people. I think, you know, as you as you start to get older, um, you, you can get more targeted in that approach. And, and this is where, again, I, I wouldn't follow anything that I did. I mean, when I was in college, I was working in restaurants and things like that because I wanted to to, to, to make money, to support and, you know, do, do different things. So I, I didn't uh, go out and do some of the internships that I always recommend people do, but I, I think that's a huge opportunity. Um, we, we hire summer interns um, here at the Warriors, but, uh, you know, I think people, you know, when you're in college in particular, you could say high school, but college in particular, figuring out some of the things you're interested in. And I always tell people I would, I'd recommend doing different things, right? Don't do the same thing every summer. Uh, and even if you can do things during the year, but, but having those, um, you know, those, that professional experience to, to get your foot in the door. Because, and then once you do that, especially if it's things you like, I mean, I tell people, you know, when you're interviewing for a job, it's a crapshoot, right? You're, you're interviewing people, you talk to them for an hour, you have four or five people talk to them, and you do the best you can to get the right people. And hopefully you're successful more often than you're not. But, you know, if someone's going to uh, uh, get an internship and be around for three months in the summer, that's a three-month job interview. So I, I think there's, you know, when you, when you talk about networking and getting into the industry, 
Um, you know, that, that, that's a big piece of it. I, I think nowadays, you know, and then kids go to the, you have all these sports management programs now that, that either didn't exist or I didn't know about when I was, when I was going through school. Um, you know, we, we had some kids from the Warsaw school in Oregon, which is a graduate program. We're here last week and I spent some time with them. So I think that, you know, those things are great from a networking perspective, specifically in sports, but I think, you know, these things are, these things can be, um, you know, applied to any industry. Yeah, you mentioned the importance of professional experience, but I'm thinking about you working in the restaurants and just being able to articulate yourself, communicate with other people. How important do you think that was for your growth? Yeah, I, I think it's a good point. I mean, I think, you know, everything you do, you learn from. Um, and, and I think uh, uh, learning how to sell. So when you're working in a restaurant, you may or may not realize it, but you're upselling, right? You're you're, you're getting them to get the steak instead of the pasta. I worked in an Italian restaurant, so it's a higher ticket item, right? You're, you're upselling from a glass of wine to a bottle of wine. I mean, and, and you're suggesting, you're doing it in a way where maybe hopefully it doesn't come off as you selling. Uh, <clears throat> you're really just trying to help the, the people at the restaurant have a better dinner, have a better time, lunch, whatever it is. But I, I do think that experience is important because, you know, you get into something like sales, which is where I started with the Warriors and having that ability to connect with people. Um, you know, and it, what do you, I mean, when you say sales, like, nobody wants to be sold. Everyone wants to buy, but nobody wants to be sold. Um, so what, so what does that mean? You know, how, how do you create a situation where you're, you're, where it really comes off and, and you really are trying to help people, but you are trying to do your job, which is to sell something. And in, in my case, when I started here, it was tickets. You mentioned your ability to connect. I'm thinking about your, your meeting with Robert Rao. What did you do so well to connect with him at the time? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, we should ask, we should ask Bobby. <laughs> right. Um, I, well, so, so the first thing is I walked in and of course I had done no research on him, which was really smart. And, and, uh, and so I walked in and he's like 36 or 37 years old at the time, which I was shocked. I had no idea, um, which I probably should have <laughs> in retrospect, but you know, we, we were just talking and I think it helped that I was a diehard, uh, fan and, and, and not to say that being a big fan is going to get you a job in sports, but you know, so when we start talking about the team, our team was terrible. I think we were coming off like a 21 win season and I was fanatical about, you know, talking through and just, I think the passion that, that came through, um, was important. I, I, I mean, and that, 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 that's a big one. I mean, I think when we're hiring people and especially for something entry level where you're, you're by definition, not going to have a lot of work experience to, to draw from, or to show that you're equipped to do the job, <clears throat> having that personality and that like being excited and, and into something. And in, 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 in my case, selling tickets, I don't know if is viewed as the sexiest thing to people generally. Um, and, and, and just talking about a 21 win, you know, NBA team may not be either. Um, so I think, uh, you know, again, this is 17 years ago, but, but thinking back, I think that was it. I mean, I think, and, and I was impressed with him equally, I shouldn't even say equally. I was much more impressed with him than he was with me. Uh, but, but impressed just with his, how he was thinking about the business and the, you know, the honesty and how he was laying out that this isn't, you know, this, you know, here's something, here's something you could talk about, not necessarily the, the, the sexiest job, but here's what it is. But I, I think it is, it's that energy, that passion, um, you know, that, that can allow you to, to differentiate yourself. Yeah. You mentioned that he asked, can you sell? So obviously you hadn't had a background in sales. Was this more of a, a favor he was doing in, in terms of bringing you on? Or did he see something in you that said, you know what, no matter what, we, we can find a spot for this guy? Yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, probably was just a favor. I don't know why else he would have hired me. Um, Do you really believe no, that? Uh, no, I mean, I think, I think taking the, the meeting was a favor. Um, you know, Jeff, uh, was a big part, you know, with Fox sports net was the RSN partner at the time was, it was a big part of it. So I do think taking the meeting was a favor, but I don't, you know, I, I think if I had come in and, and not, uh, taken advantage of the opportunity, I don't think I would have gotten the job. What, what I would say even more than that, cause even let, let's just say he did hire, hire me as a favor. I mean, my, my base salary when I started with the Warriors was 28,000. So 
he wasn't, uh, it wasn't, you know, and there's commission tied to that. So if you sell a lot of tickets, you, you make more money. So I made more money than that, but it wasn't a huge dollar commitment. So maybe it was a favor, but I think the, the mentality that I took, because I came in and, you know, I grew up, my dad um, running companies. And I think my, my dad would have liked me to have gone working, uh, to work for him out of school. And I didn't want to do that because I wanted to, to kind of create my own way and, and kind of do it on my own. Um, so I, even getting the job the way that I did or getting the interview the way that I did, like they didn't have a job posting out. So I I sort of knew coming in, okay, I'm one of now seven salespeople um, that are working on commission. And so there's, there's a certain size pizza or pie or however you want to look at it. And I'm, I'm creating an extra slice. So these other salespeople probably aren't going to love the fact that I came in, got the job this way. And so I, I came in, I don't want to say with a chip on my shoulder, because that sounds negative, but just fr- from the sense of like wanting to prove to myself, but to everyone else that I deserved it. And so I think that sort of shaped the way I attacked the job. I had never had a quote unquote real job or career job before that. I, you know, I'd had jobs in high school and college, but um, not full-time career sort of things. And and so I came in with that mentality of like, look, I'm, I'm, you know, people may think that I was given the job as a favor and maybe I was, I don't know. Uh, I'd have, you'd have to ask uh, Bobby to get the true answer there, but, but I wanted to come in and prove that, that it was something that was deserved and, and I wanted to excel and work harder than everybody else and sell more tickets than everybody else. And I guess the way I would say it is at 17 years later and, and that mentality hasn't stopped. I absolutely love that mentality. I mean, it's clear how you ended up where you are. Can we expand on that mindset though? I, I want to know what were your original plan was when they were like, Hey, we'll bring you on from sales. What did you foresee in your future? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I, um, again, maybe head in the sand. I, I wasn't thinking that far ahead. Like people, people ask me like, did you think you're going to be with the Warriors for 17 years? No, but I, I didn't necessarily think that I wasn't either. I, I didn't really think of it either way. Um, so I, it was the day before my 23rd birthday. So I was basically 23 when I started. And I think, I, I mean, I think I was just sort of focused on the task at hand. Um, so it was like, look, I'm going to come in and learn and, and sell more than everyone else. We, you know, we always had a sales board, like a whiteboard in the area that showed how many tickets people had sold that week and, you know, reports would go out and someone else would get up to put numbers on the board. And I'd be like, gosh, shoot. Not, and not that I was rooting against anybody else, but I wanted to sell more than everyone or, and not just more double everybody. Uh, so you have that sort of competitiveness. Uh, and, and it was a good camaraderie group. I mean, I was friends with all the, all the other people that did the job that I did at the time. Um, uh, but it was, you know, it, initially it was just, look, I'm going to do the very best, <clears throat> excuse me, do the very best that I can. And then I think as time went on and, and I was selling more tickets than other people, you know, then you start to realize like, look, I, I think I can have more of an effect on the success of the organization. Um, and so I think over time, you know, I, I enjoyed that, you know, working for a smaller company where I, I felt like, I mean, I, I think thinking back on it, I probably didn't have quite as much of an effect as I probably thought I did at the time, but, you know, felt like I, I had a, a, a real effect on, on our success as an organization, uh, and the success of the team, quite frankly, because we, we felt like, look, if we can create a better atmosphere in the building and give our team more of a home court advantage, you know, there's value to that. Um, you know, and ultimately as, as a basketball team, that's our goal. It's, it's different than <clears throat> what other companies outside of sports may be trying to do because we're just, we're, we're trying to win. I mean, you're, you're trying to run a successful business as well, but the goal is to, to ultimately to win games and win championships. So the initial um, sort of foresight or looking ahead on where it might go wasn't necessarily there. It was like, look, I'm going to do the best I can. And then I think over time, that's when you started to kind of think, okay, here's, here's where this could go, you know, and, and, and then you kind of worked through that. Cool. So I, I want to know about that competitive mindset. Is that something you've always had, even from a, a young age? 
Uh, yeah, fortunately or unfortunately, uh, <laughs> I would say yes. I mean, so I grew up, you know, playing a lot of sports. I, I mentioned oldest of four, so I have three younger brothers. There's three of us within 31 months, so we grew up playing a lot of sports together, whether that was just in the backyard with neighbors or, you know, more uh, organized sports. The sports I played the most growing up, soccer and, and baseball. In soccer, I was like the little uh, quick kid, and fortunately, I think I was the same sp- running speed when I was 10 years old as, as I am today. <laughs> Um, so I, 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 at some point that stopped, but as a kid, I was pretty good cause I was little fast, you know, so you kind of kick the ball by somebody and kind of run by them. So I, I was pretty good. I scored a fair amount of goals, but it, I was so competitive and it was like, like, you know, you're eight, 10, 12 years old. And you're, you know, to the point where you're like, I don't say yelling at other kids, but you're like pushing other kids cause you want to win so badly. Um, so I, I've, you know, as I've gotten older, I've had to, had to learn to temper it and channel it, um, in the right way. But yeah, I mean, always uh, growing up around sports and going to giants games, going to warriors games. I, I didn't grow up going to football games as much. Uh, always enjoyed watching football on TV. Uh, I don't know, just seeing the, the field better and being, you know, given all the games were on Sundays more so back then than now wanted to be able to watch all the games, not just the 49ers games, but, um, you know, having that kind of sports background, uh, both playing and, and, and being a fan, I, I just grew up super, uh, super, super competitive. And again, I think uh, overall, I think being competitive um, is a great trade. I mean, Bob Myers talks about that a lot, like looking for players that are, um, you know, uber, uber competitive, like Draymond Green, Steph Curry's kind of a closet, really competitive guy. You, you might not see it cause he's, he's got such a laid back nature, but he's super competitive. So I, I think it's a huge positive, but you got to channel it in the right way, which I, I, I didn't always. <laughs> I mean, with self-reflection, are there things you do to channel it that you, that you can really articulate right now? Well, I think, yeah, I mean, so I would say like my nature, when, if you're sitting in a meeting and somebody brings something up or someone asks a question, my nature is to dive in right away. Right. Cause you're, you're, you're thinking quickly, you're thinking on your feet, you know, things that you do when you're in sales specifically, um, and, and, and tend to have an opinion. And, and I'm, I, I always have an opinion, really opinionated. And what I've learned to do over time, cause I do have a strong personality and you know, it, it I, what I found is if I jump in, first of all, that's, you know, I don't know everything. Uh, obviously nobody does. Uh, so you want to hear what other people have to say, but I've, I've learned that, you know, if you jump in and always have the answer right away, it can shape what other people may say, you know, people on your team and that, that doesn't do anyone any good. And so what I've learned in that case is like, just it's, it's when you say competitiveness, maybe it's a little different, but I think it's really similar or, or maybe the same really, um, to, to, to take a step back, slow down. And, and so as these things kind of unfold, like let wait and hear what everyone else has to say, uh, which a may influence your opinion, but B give people a chance to get their opinions out there so that you know, collectively you can figure out the, the best path forward. Um, so that's, it's just being cognizant that you have that competitiveness. I mean, look, we're, we're, you know, we're, we're constantly trying to get better and trying to be the best, uh, at our craft in every area of our business. So I think that's, you know, as far as being competitive, I think that's, that's great. Um, but from a, from a day-to-day business, how does that manifest, you know, how you go about, uh, your business and leading a team? Um, I think, you know, again, slowing down and, and, and hearing and letting things evolve before, before diving in has been, has been important. No, that's some incredible information right there. Along the theme with self-reflection here, you mentioned wanting to sell more and even double some other people's sales. What did you do really well? And I'm assuming there, there are a few small things that you executed the other people might not have been doing in sales at the time that really helped you just get a head and shoulders above the others. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the, the biggest thing back then, cause it's kind of a volume game, right? So you're selling like partial season packages. So it's like the, the more people you talk to, the more time you spend doing it, the more you could sell. So part of it was just working harder. You know, um, it, I was talking to a, to a student on my way in, into work today. I, t- I have about a 45 minute commute 
um, to work. And so if I don't have a business call, which I do most days, but I'll schedule people reach out to me at LinkedIn or other ways and, you know, want to talk and get advice, how to break into sports. So I'll take those calls once or twice a week. So I, I took one of those, um, this morning, where was I going with this, Sean? I lost my train of thought. Well, I was just, I was just asking about your ability to sell it. And if there's any little thing you did when, when you were up and coming that, that yeah. helped you, uh, yeah. So, so it, it, where I was going with my conversation this morning is like, when we talk to people interviewing for the job, everyone talks about how hard they're going to work. Um, and I don't know if, if people are just lying or if they don't know what hard, hard work is, cause it sounds so cliched and, and simple, but you know, it, it is a differentiator, especially in a role like that. Um, so part of it was working harder and like, you know, we'd have, we take turns on days, uh, when it was your turn to, to answer the inbound calls, which are obviously, you know, warmer leads than when you're making your outbound calls. And so like on days when I was on the, on the inbound calls, I wouldn't even leave for lunch. Like I'd be at my phone all day, uh, so that you're maximizing an opportunity. So I'd, I'd pay someone to go like, Hey, I'll buy your lunch if you bring me a sandwich or something. So I didn't have to leave. So I, I, I didn't lose any opportunity. So it, part of it's that, but then it, it, and then it's every aspect. So it's using, you know, we talked about networking earlier. So using your personal network. So it, it's, you know, you're not just selling from nine to five or I guess eight thirty to five thirty in our case, um, you know, when, when work hours are, but you might stay a couple hours late, but you're, you know, you're at a family event on the weekend or you're at the bar on Saturday night or whatever it is, you're always kind of talking about the world and talking about things and networking and talking about people that may be interested in tickets. So I think, I think making, you know, think of it as more of a career or a lifestyle than just a job was important. And then the other thing was learning from the people around me. I mean, I sat in an environment where we were all kind of sitting in the same area on, on the phones. And so you, you had no choice, but to hear other people's conversations. And, you know, I learned a lot there because I, my nature is to be really aggressive, uh, which I think I, I'd like, I, I think in a lot of ways still am, but you, you learn how to temper that a little bit and channel it the right way. So, you, you know, you'd hear people, uh, garnering referrals or building relationships in different ways on the phone. So I, there's a guy that sat behind me, a guy named Garrett veteran who moved back to New Jersey, still a good friend of mine, but he, he had a, such a different style than me, but was having a lot of success. So I was, I was listening and kind of figuring out what was driving his success. And so you're stealing ideas and whether it's not just lines, but just, um, strategies and kind of making them your own. And so, and, and so you're learning from others. And then the other thing I would say is like, and, and maybe this is borders on arrogance. I don't know. I, I don't think of it that way, but like, I, I felt like when, if I got off the phone and, and didn't make a sale, I always thought about what, what could I've done differently? So I was almost working under the assumption, like every single person should buy if they, if they didn't, I screwed it up. Cause I think most people do the opposite. Like if you get off a phone call in that, in this example, and someone doesn't buy, you're like, oh, they didn't want to buy tickets. I never liked that mentality because it's like, then I don't even, I'm not, I don't even really have any effect on the situation. I think the opposite. I, I like to think like, I'm going to control everything I can control. Uh, so what, what should I have done? What could I have done to have had a better outcome on that phone call? So I'm, I'm to this day, constantly, not just phone calls, anything I do, you know, you get up at a meeting. I'm like, oh, I screwed that up. I should have done this or I shouldn't have done that. Um, so you're taking feedback uh, from people to constantly better, which is, which is crucial, but also just, um, you know, uh, that self-reflection to think about what should I, or what could I have done differently to get better? Uh, I think that's crucial. And I think it's, it's that constantly striving to be better. I and mean, once you think, Oh, we, we, we got it all figured out. We're good. Uh, I think you're screwed, right? Everyone else is trying to get better. Uh, so w what we like to say is if you're not getting better, you're getting worse. Can you expand upon arrogance? Uh, I know you kind of glimpsed over that, but, but I have a feeling that's a huge part of your success. And it's always that fine line, the, the tightrope walk along arrogance and then just being confident. Can you expand on it? 
Yeah, because I think overall you, you, you want to be humble. I mean, our, our authorities, our values, uh, we use the acronym TEAM, and the M stands for modesty uh, and humility, um, which we think is important. We've obviously had a, had a good run on the court um, and done some good things business-wise, but being, being, being humble and, and modest in how we go about our business is really important to us. Um, so so that, there's part of that balance-wise. When I, when I was referring to Eric, it's more just in that mindset, right? I mean, when I, when I hear myself telling the story that I told you about sort of like, expecting to make a sale on every call. I can see where people think of that as being arrogant. I don't, I don't mean it that way at all. Uh, so hopefully it isn't that because <laughs> I don't, I don't think anyone wants to be viewed as arrogant. Um, but, but I, I, I can see where people think it's an arrogant mentality and I don't mean it because clearly you're not going to make a sale on every call. I mean it more as a, I would almost argue it's a humble way of looking at it. Like it's my fault, right? Like what did I do wrong? And that's constantly what I'm thinking. Like, what could I, I'm not blaming other people or the situation. I'm actually thinking like being, again, looking at myself, what could I have done better as opposed to pointing fingers at other in other directions. But, I, but to your point, I do think the confidence, uh, is really important and not just, you know, we're talking about sales, but just in general, um, you, you gotta be confident in yourself. You gotta be confident in the product you're selling. If it is sales or, or the company that you're working for, but being confident in what you're doing and what you're saying, I mean, just, just talking with that, um, in that assertive tone makes a big difference in, in, in people taking you seriously and really, um, putting weight in what you're saying. So, you know, I think the being confident, in, in life, I think is, is really important. Everyone should have confidence. Cause it's like, if you don't have confidence in yourself, well make whatever change you need to so that you are confident, right? Like you, it, it's up to you to create the person or the persona that you are. And if you're not confident in what that is, make that change. Uh, but you don't want to be arrogant because you know, nobody wants to be around somebody that's arrogant and thinks they, thinks they know everything. So, uh, you know, you do have to find that balance where you're, where you're confident, but you're, you're, you're not going over the edge. Yeah, no, I appreciate you expanding upon that because I think that inner self-confidence is just so important and so vital in so many people's success. A few minutes ago, you were talking about being surrounded by people and you were almost picking up on these different things through osmosis. I'm curious, you said your dad was an entrepreneur. What did he do? So he, um, he's done different things, but, but for most of my childhood, he, uh, he had a carpet company it was a floor covering business. So my, my grandfather started a company in 1965, uh, and my dad started working for him, I think when he was in college, um, in the seventies. And then, um, by the time he, a couple years after he graduated, he, he took over the company. So, so carpet company and he, so he, you know, he'd have national sales meetings and as a kid, I'd go to these meetings with him. He always worked super late on Sunday night. So his, his strategy was to try and, um, spend time with the family, uh, on the weekend. Cause he worked a lot during the week and then Sunday night he'd go to the office after dinner at like, you know, seven o'clock, seven thirty, whatever, and work until like three, four in the morning. My mom really loved when he was taking me as like a 13 year old and we'd get home at four in the morning and I had school the next morning. Uh, my, my, my mom was really impressed with that, but it, but, but so, you know, I learned, uh, a lot when you say osmosis, I think that's a perfect way to say it because at the time, I don't know that I, I really thought I was learning anything concrete. Um, you know, you're making connections and you're meeting people and learning how, um, you know, how to shake people's hands and look them in the eye, which sounds really simple, but things like that when you're like 10, 12 years old and, and, and seeing some of that. But I think it really was by osmosis, like just learning how to be a, a business person. Um, you know, my, my dad's obviously someone, as, as you can tell in this quick little conversation, someone I look up to a lot as a, as a mentor. Yeah, no, it's starting to paint a clearer picture now in terms of work ethic, sales, being able to connect with different people. So, so now you're the chief revenue officer for the Golden State Warriors. What exactly does that job entail? Yeah, so it, it's interesting because it's different. Uh, there's a lot of teams that have chief revenue officers and, and companies out there, and, and it can mean different things. So I think it's a good question. Um, so I, 
I grew up on the ticket side of the business, as we talked about. So I oversee our our ticket sales group, which has suite sales and service and box office, different things. Um, and then um, our corporate partnership. Um, so so doing um, aligning with different brands. I mean, one of our latest was was Google Cloud, which was a great deal. They haven't, they haven't done a deal with a sports team before. So to be able to align with a company like Google is great. So oversee that team. And then our marketing team, which is different. Um, for us than a normal company. So our, our VP of marketing, uh, who's awesome, Jen Malay, has eight direct reports. Um, uh, so you've got a kind of brand marketing, you've got digital, we have our own in-house studio that's creating video content, uh, game presentations. So all the, everything you see at a Warriors game, aside from the actual basketball, uh, her team doing all that, all the videos, the, you know, the Warriors dance team, the junior jam squad, all the things that, that happen on the court and in the arena and outside the arena, um, analytics, uh, retail, so our merchandise business all falls under marketing. And then um, our community relations team and our Warriors Community Foundation. So we have two different kind of philanthropic arms. They work hand in hand. And then we have a G League team uh, down in Santa Cruz, uh, the Santa Cruz Warriors, who just concluded. We had tied for the best record in the league, lost in the Western Conference Finals. It's a single elimination in the G League, which is tough. So we, we lost Rio Grande Valley. But I oversee uh, that team as well. Man, thank God you don't have a lot going on, huh? <laughs> well, and, 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 you know, it, it, it's funny you say that because it's, so we got starting on Saturday, as I'm sure, you know, um, so you've got you know, kind of the day-to-day playoffs coming in, which we're all excited, of course, but we also have a new arena, uh, in San Francisco chase center. And our first event is less than five months away. So, you know, there's been a ton of work over the last several years, uh, for that. And we, we, the way I like to have months of crunch time really is we finish everything, uh, getting ready for chase. So we're, we're, you could argue we're working, uh, two jobs right now. So it's a, it's a really fun time learning a lot. Um, but, but certainly a lot going on. Yeah, no, I definitely want to talk about Chase a little bit. But for someone who just attends an NBA game, I know you you hit on a lot about what you do. What's something that you guys are responsible for an outsider would never even think about after attending a game? It's a good question. Um, I think it's really across the board. I mean, I'll answer it in a little different way. Uh, one of the things that, that we're excited with Chase Center is right now at Oracle, when you, when you go to a game and you see like the, the usher, the person taking your ticket, security, you know, all those things, uh, those people actually don't work for the Warriors. Um, so, you know, when you go to a game, you assume everyone is a Warriors and they're not a tenant at Oracle. So that's one of the things we're really excited at Chase Center is we'll own, operate, um, the building. So all every touch point will, will come from us. Um, so I know that didn't directly answer your question, but I think that's kind of interesting to note, um, for people. Um, you know, I, I think, I mean, we're, 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 as an organization, we're responsible for everything happening in the arena. So everything, everything's choreographed really carefully, uh, as far as all that entertainment. So, you know, you, if you just had a basketball game and then you just had breaks and all that stuff, you know, commercials or whatever, uh, we don't think that's the most compelling experience. So what, what we're really trying to do is create the best experience we can for our fans. And it's hard because you have people from all walks of life. We have a really diverse fan base, diverse crowds at, at Chase Center, which, or excuse me, at Oracle and, and at Chase Center, um, which, which I think is part of what makes it such a unique, fun atmosphere. And people call it Roracle because of the, the atmosphere in the crowd. Um, and, and so you're, you're trying to cater to all different types of people, you know, whether it's kids, um, you know, different age groups, but also some people that are purists that really just want the game versus people that aren't as big a fans that are maybe there because it's Filipino heritage night, as an example. Um, so it, it's interesting as you put, to, put that jigsaw puzzle together to try and create a scenario where you've got this family friendly entertainment that, that, um, you know, that appeals to people from all different walks of life. So it's a, it's a fun challenge that we're constantly iterating and surveying and asking, asking fans and getting feedback 
uh, and you never you never perfect it because you also the other the other interesting dynamic is you've got um, you know a good chunk of the crowd or season ticket holders or people that go to a lot of games, but you also have a good chunk that probably will only go to one game. Um, so how do you differentiate that? Cause you want to put on your best show every night for those people that are only going to one game. But if you run out the same entertainment 40, you know, 41 plus preseason plus playoffs, call it 50 something games a year that gets repetitive, right? So how do you, how do you find that dynamic, um, and that balance? So you are putting your best foot forward, but you're creating that variety for people that aren't going to a lot of games. So these, these are all things that we talk about a lot, but we're, we're, we're doing our best to affect every aspect of the experience. Yeah, no, you mentioned the season tickets and I was doing some research uh, for this conversation and the number kept rising. And the the most recent number I've seen is that you guys currently have a wait list of 44,000 people waiting to get season tickets. Is that number accurate? Yeah, your, your, your research is right on. So we're, we're just, I think it's like 44,374 people, something like that. But yeah, basically 44,000 people on a, on a paid wait list uh, hoping to get season tickets. Oh, that's so awesome. I mean, your 17-year career, you've definitely seen the ups and downs of this organization where you guys couldn't even sell out Oracle. Now you have a 44,000-person wait list. What is that like being with an organization for that long and seeing all the ups and downs? It's been amazing. Um, so, I, so I started, as we said, in 2002. Uh, so um, it, it's almost like first half of my career and second half. And, 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 the, and the inflection point was the ownership change. So Joe Lacob and Peter Goober bought the team uh, November 12th of 2010. So my first 10 years with the team, the Warriors made the playoffs once. And that was part of an 18-year span where we made it once. Um, we play in a league where 16 out of 30 teams make the playoffs. So to make it once in 18 years is actually hard to do. Um, we, we somehow succeeded in that. Um, and, and I actually think that the way it worked out, uh, is perfect because in those early years we had to be really scrappy. Um, you know, when we're talking about ticket sales, you know, the environment when I started, but, uh, we were providing a lot of value. I mean, there was, you know, Warriors fans are known as being great and packing the house and thick and thin, which, which is true. We have unbelievable fans. But back in those days, we were really just trying to fill the the lower level. I mean, it was you know, it was hard. It, the team wasn't good. Um, so you know, you, you look at that, and then Joe and Peter bought the team in 2010, and, and took time to assess. You know, they didn't make a lot of changes right away. They didn't just come in and fire everybody. Uh, so they they came in and kind of assessed things. Um, and it was really, and by the time they started, the season was already beginning that the 10, 11 season, once that season ended is when they really started making changes. Uh, and, and the rest is history, as they say, but, but you, you look at that and you, and you look at the transition where, you know, we finally made the playoffs in 12, 13 beat Denver in the first round. Um, it lost a tough series to the Spurs and Andrew Bogut and, uh, Steph Curry were both banged up. They were playing, but had bad ankles and we blew game one. I was at game one sitting next to Joe Lacob's fiance at the time. Now wife, Nicole. Uh, and, and a couple of our other uh, minority owners, the Kegels. I'll never forget because I'm sitting at this game, uh, second round, first game in San Antonio. We were up 16 points uh, with four and a half minutes left. Clay Thompson fouled out, um, and, and and we ended up. Uh, the Spurs ended up going on a big run, tying the game, and beat us in overtime. Which was like, are you kidding? I mean, the Spurs, you know, obviously have been uh, kind of the gold standard in the NBA over the last 20 years. I mean, I think this year they're in the playoffs for the 22nd time in a row. So to lose that game was heartbreaking. By the way, our team came back and won Game Two on the road, which was which spoke to the character of the team, which was pretty amazing. Um, you know, and we ended up losing the series, like I said, in six games. But I think we learned a lot. The next year, we lost in the first round of the Clippers. And then, uh, and then we made a coaching change to bring in Steve Kerr, uh, which was huge because you know, what, what, what I've heard Bob Myers say, and I think is right on is, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to go from, from bad to good, but it's really hard to go from good to great. 
Um, and that was what we were trying to do. We had, we had, we'd gotten to good, but how do we get to great? We bring in Steve Kerr and then, you know, end up with the best record in the NBA and, and won the championship in 14, 15, so the, the 15 championship, which was unbelievable. So that, that, that's all, that's all, you know, I'm talking on the court, which, which isn't what, I, what my job affects uh, directly. But, but as you think about the transition of the organization, um, you know, it, that, that's really what set the tone. Um, you know, Joe, Joe and Peter came in and, and, and changed the culture and brought in the right people, the Jerry West, the Bob Myers, uh, the Rick Welts on the business side, uh, changed the culture uh, and, and created this unbelievable basketball team. You know, and then, and then I think on the business side, um, I always say, you know, we're just trying to keep up with the basketball team. So, I mean, is that really truly a top-down effect? It all starts with the guys on the court and that goes throughout the entire organization? Yeah, I would take it a step further. When you say the guys at the top, uh, I think that's right. So, um, you know, I, I joke about this because I've seen Rick Welts, you know, speak so many different times. And Rick's also an unbelievable mentor, just got inducted into the Hall of Fame last year. Never, you know, he's my height. He's, I don't know, he's six feet tall. He's a little taller than me. But, but he, uh, you know, never played a minute in the NBA and got inducted into the, to the Hall of Fame, which is pretty amazing. Um, so, so he's our president. But so when he gives these talks, one of the things he always likes to say is there's three things that you need to be a successful sports organization. And, you know, he kind of shows his hand, you know, p- number one, ownership, ownership, and ownership. And then he usually follows that by saying, and we hit the Powerball. Um, and, and, and what I've learned over time is, is that really is true. Um, I mean, Joe and Peter, uh, and we have a whole ownership group, but they're the two lead um, owners are unbelievable. And, and as I said, a minute ago, put the right people in jobs. I mean, to have leaders, Bob Meyer, Steve Kerr, Rick Welts, our, our other three leaders beyond um, Joe and Peter um, is just, it, it's unbelievable. We're so fortunate to have uh, that leadership team that we do that sets the direction and puts us in position uh, for success. So that, that's really where it all starts. And then as you look at the overall ecosystem, and, and by the way, one of the differentiators for us is really the cohesiveness between business and basketball. Um, you know, years ago, before Joe and Peter bought the team, there was really a divide. And, and, and again, not saying anything negative about the past regime. Uh, past regime, you know, who gave me my shot and, and I'm grateful and was, was great to all of us. But there was, there was figurative and literal walls between business and basketball. We worked in the same building, but you, you didn't interact. And, and by the way, that's uh, uh, how I think most sports teams still operate. Um, ours is totally different. Uh, the walls are gone, open environment, and, and we work together. Bob Myers and Kirk Lacob, who's our assistant GM, we have, a, we have a weekly executive meeting, VPs and above, every Tuesday from 10 to 11.30. They go to that meeting every week um, and sit through, and it's mainly a business meeting, although we talk, you know, we, we, we certainly uh, give them the mic, the, the figurative mic to talk about basketball because we all want to hear about that. We're all, you know, fans, and obviously it, uh, our business drafts off of the basketball team um, uh, largely. Um, but, but having that cohesiveness where we work together, because at the end of the day, you know, the business, um, our opportunity on the business side, certainly, um, the, the, the team, uh, performance has, has an effect on that, but, you know, to be able to keep our team together, I mean, our payroll's gotten expensive to be able to build chase center. Um, you know, we have to be successful on the business side, uh, to be able to, to, to maintain the, the, the team that we have to be able to pay, you know, afford to keep the, the, the players and to build the new arena. Um, and, and our basketball people recognize that. Um, so, you know, you, you asked, does it start with the team? Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, I mean, look, the Holy grail is to, to, to create a scenario where you're, you can sustain your business regardless of team performance. But, um, you know, we, we'd be crazy if we didn't acknowledge like, look, there's no way we could be doing the things we're doing from a, a business standpoint. Um, you know, if it weren't for the success that we've had on the court and not just the success, but the, the exciting brand of basketball and the character of our players, um, I think it's been pretty well documented, but, you know, Steph Curry has been our leader over the years. And now, you know, Kevin Durant, we have two, 
I don't know, top five, I would say top two, top three players in the league um, that are, that are, you know, people talk about Steph and what I've heard said often is he's a, he's actually a better person uh, than he is a basketball player. So I think that's also an important part of our culture is, you know, we obviously want good players that, that, that are talented, but we also want uh, good people. Cause we think, uh, Hey, it's the right thing to do. And it's the right um, tone to set, but, but having these high character people, you know, Bob Myers always likes to say, um, you know, it's easy for every, everything to be going well when you're succeeding, but when you really find out about somebody is when there's, um, you know, when, when things aren't going so well, uh, which invariably is going to happen, right? So having that, those high character people on our team has, has, um, you know, has, has paid dividends in times when, when it has been up, you know, you have your ups and downs. What's the environment like in those weekly meetings? You had a lot of type A people in a room. <laughs> That's what I was so, thinking. Yeah. So it's, 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 it's fun. I mean, you challenge each other, right? So it's, um, you know, everyone has an opinion. I mean, if you're not weighing in on, on the conversation, you shouldn't be in the room. I mean, that's really how we think about it. Like, you know, if, if Rick or Joe or whoever, any one person is trying to make all the decisions, that's not great. And by the way, if just the leadership team's trying to make all the decisions or come up with all the ideas, that's not good either. Um, so we, we really try and have a culture where everyone in the organization not only feels like they can have a voice, but that that's part of their job, right? Based on, and you know, diversity and inclusion is something that's talked about a lot, uh, but it's something that's been important to us for, for a long time, you know, where you have the diverse workforce and you have people um, from all different walks of life. And, and so you want that diversity, but, but the reason you really want that is, is so you get diversity of thought and you have to have that inclusive environment where everyone um, is comfortable that they can be themselves um, and express their ideas. And that's, that's, top to bottom. But in the, in the case of the meetings that you're asking me about, the, the executive meetings, as we call them, um, you know, it, it's important that everybody realizes like, just because you, your job is marketing. So you can only talk about marketing. No, like that, that's, you, you have an opinion on all this. We're all, we're in this together. We're all working together towards a common goal. So there's no, there's no bad ideas. Well, once in a while, but um, no, but there's no bad ideas. We're all, we're all putting it out on the table and, and talking through and trying to figure out the best way to proceed. So it's, 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 it's a fun environment and, and, and everyone knows like, look, we're going to, I don't think argue is the right word, but debate. I mean, we're going to go, everyone, you're not all going to agree. We all think of things differently and we all have different perspectives on things. And so you respect everyone's opinion and we, we work it through it. And, and then we, we, you know, we come out and, and align on a decision and then we're aligned. You know, it's, you don't come out of the meeting going, wow, that was his idea. I don't, that's stupid. No, once, once we agree on what we're going to do, we're all aligned. And then, and then we take that and, and cascade that to, to our teams and, 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 and move forward from there. You mentioned the cascading of the teams. When you're hiring, what are you assessing skill-wise? What are you really looking for in a new hire? Yeah, I mean, you know, there's a lot of things, and obviously there's expertise based on the role. But, you're, you know, more generally, you're looking for that right cultural fit, um, so that passion. Um, because if you're not passionate about working for the Warriors and, and, and being a part of what we're doing, like, there's lots of other jobs out there. Um, so so <clears throat> I always look at that. I mean, people that are that are super passionate – and, and are going to be opinionated and, and proactive. I mean, that's another big one. I think for us is like, you know, you get people that, you know, are, are good at kind of doing what's asked of them, which is important. I mean, you gotta be able to do that and work hard and do, do the right thing. That's great. But we want people that are proactive that are thinking ahead. So it's not just a handful of people sort of setting the direction and thinking about what we need to do. It's everyone thinking that way, right? What, uh, so I'm going to do what's asked of me, but I need to, I'm going to continue to come up with ideas and proactively think about how we can get better. So, so you're trying to test for that. 
And the other thing, you know, I, I mentioned diversity and inclusion a second ago. One of the things that we've, you know, and, and I don't think this is dissimilar to how other companies do it, but we, we have um, interview panels. So we're putting people through, you know, if you're, if you're coming in for a finance position, certainly there'll be a couple people in finance on the panel, maybe someone in human resources, but there's going to be somebody in sales and marketing. So you, you get it from all different perspectives. So we, we, we make sure we have a diverse interview panel, both, both from, from um, like a demographic standpoint, uh, gender and, and, you know, background, all those kinds of things, but also just from a, a diversity of, of thought and diversity of, um, uh, of job uh, to make sure that we're really looking at people from, from all angles. So you're not, you're looking at their expertise and experience, of course, uh, but you're looking at, I don't know if you soft skills is the right way to say it, but, but how they would fit culturally and, 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 and if they have that right kind of proactive uh, perspective. No, I love your guys' approach there. You mentioned that proactive mentality, assessing for that. Is there anything you do specifically? I feel like that's one of those things that's very hard to figure out in just a few job interviews. Yeah, it, you know, it, it's hard. Um, so, you know, you ask questions, um, you know, give me an example when you, um, uh, of an idea you came up with that was successful for your for your employer or, or, or an idea you came up with that wasn't successful. You know, so you try and think of, of open-ended and not everything you ask is going to be open-ended, but open-ended questions where, you know, you give people a chance to tell stories and you, you kind of tell by the way they talk about things um, and the way they've thought about things and things they've done in the past, you know, how proactive uh, they might be. But you also can, you know, you typically, when you get people that have that sort of passion, that intellectual curiosity, I mean, that's really what you're looking for. People are intellectually curious, um, you know, and asking you questions, questions and not, you know, when you're, when you're interviewing someone, you always kind of open it up for questions and sometimes people have, and sometimes people feel like they should ask questions, but, uh, so they're asking it just for the sake of asking it, that doesn't do any good. But if you're, if you've actually thought through what that is and, and been, you're being proactive in sort of, um, trying to, to learn more about what the role is and what the company is about, um, you know, that, that's a good sign, but I think it's that intellectual curiosity that, that we're really after. Cause if you're intellectually curious, um, you are going to be proactive in thinking through like, what should we be doing differently or what, what about this or what about that? Um, you know, which is really what we're looking at. Yeah. It's funny. You mentioned intellectual curiosity and we had on Nick Kakonis, who's the owner of the Alinea group, the, the infamous restaurant group, and also owner of talk. And that's one of the key things he's looking for while he's interviewing. We, we talk about Chase Center, downtown San Francisco coming this year, billion dollar arena. Why make a commitment like that? Why is that so important for you guys? So we play right now, I and mean, we all love Oracle Arena, but a lot of people don't realize it's the oldest uh, arena in the NBA. So Oracle was built in 1966. And so, I mean, very simply, you know, we wanted to create um, a building with the amenities that, that we think our fans deserve. Uh, but the way Rick likes to say it, and I, and I agree with him, is, you know, building Chase Center um, is, you know, we've been in the Bay Area for X number of years. Um, uh, 47 years at, at Oracle in particular, we've been celebrating 47 this last year and, uh, this last season. Um, uh, but this chase center will set us up for the next 47 years in the Bay area. Um, so it's, it's modern amenities, you know, food and beverage club spaces, you know, all those things to create that, that fan experience, um, that we're after. I mean, when you, the way we like to, to look at it, cause people love going to Oracle. Look, I've been to, I did the math the other day and I forget the number because I've been to a few games since, but I think I've been to like 772 Warriors games in the last 17 years. I've missed 20 home games in that span. Uh, so I've been to all 59 home playoff games that we've had, um, you know, over the last six years plus 2007. So I've been to a lot of games at Oracle. I love it. Our fans love it. Um, and, and, and what we like to say, or what I like to say is uh, once you're in your seat at Oracle, it, it's an unbelievable experience. Uh, Oracle, the, the crowd, the, the hot bowl, like the loudness, um, but 
there's not much else that you would that you would duplicate. Um, it's narrow concourses. There's only one kitchen in the whole arena, uh, which is kind of mind-boggling. Chase Center's got nine. Um, so you know we've worked with our partners to try and get the food and beverage, uh, food in this case, program as good as we can. But there's, so, there's not so much you can do when you're funneling everything out of one kitchen. Um, and, and then the other thing is like where we're situated in Oakland, there's not really a, a community there of places to to eat or drink or, or anything to do before or after the game, right? So you go to the game. Go, you know, you drive there. Typically, you can take public transportation, but most will drive. Lots of parking. Uh, you drive, you go to the game, then you get in your car and you go home, and that's it, which is fine. But what we've really tried to do at Chase Center is create. Um, you know, we we want to duplicate the experience in the bowl, and we can talk more uh, about how how we've gone about trying to do that with modern amenities. So you've got wider concourses, you've got much better food and beverage, and and we talk about it being a world class arena, world class events, because this is more than just the Warriors, which we can talk about too. Um, um, but it also has to be authentic to the Barrier. So we've partnered with a bunch of Barrier uh, um, uh, restaurants to, that'll be featured. Um, at Chase Center, Bakesdale Betty's in Oakland, uh, the Olympic Club, famous golf course, is really famous for their their hamburgers on a hot dog bun. Uh, it's called Hot Dog Bills. You can only get that at, at Olympic Club, and we're bringing that to Chase Center. That's just a couple uh, examples. And then the other piece is um, we built an entire district. So we have an 11-acre site, and there's actually um, a five-and-a-half-acre public park that's being built right across the street, and then the water's on the other side of that, so it's unbelievable setting. Um, so you've got that public park, which is great. But out of that 11 acres, we have 3.2 acres of open space, including a plaza that's about an acre, so about the size of Rockefeller Center, that'll be activated 365 days a year. Uh, so it'll be a gathering place. And then we've got um, 580,000 square feet of office. So Uber's actually building their world headquarters in Mission Bay next door to Chase Center. Uh, and then we've got 100,000, mo- most, most uh, applicable, I would say, along with the plaza to the fan experiences, we've got 100,000 square feet of retail. Um, so that's all ground floor retail. That'll mostly be restaurants, more than half restaurants. So now you've got a situation where I can come make a, a day or a night of it um, going to an event. Um, so I can go get a bite to eat before or after, get a drink after the game or wh- whatever that might be. Um, so, you know, just soup to nuts. Um, we, we just think, and, and I think our fans realize, like you mentioned a billion dollar arena. We wish it was just that, by the way, <laughs> I, I had a feeling that wasn't the true number. <laughs> yeah. We're on time. We're just not on budget, uh, to the, to the, to the chagrin of our, of our CFO. Um, but, but, um, you know, but having, uh, uh, having that opportunity. Uh, so I, what I was saying is at that price tag, I think people realize that it's going to be a nice arena, but what I, I think people won't realize until we open is what that overall experience is and what that district looks like and the opportunity to do things before and after the game, which is such a, a difference from, from what we have now at, at Oracle Arena. In your eyes, what's the most impressive modern amenity that's going to be in there? I, I've seen a lot of unique and cool things uh, different arenas are doing these days. What's something that you love seeing that's going to be in the new one? It's a question we asked ourselves early on. I think our architects asked us, like, you know, what is Chase Center going to be known for? And, and we talked a lot about that. Um, and one of the things I, I think was brought up is you look at um, AT&T Park, now Oracle Park down the street, which is a great baseball stadium and, and largely viewed as such. And if you asked, you know, 50 people or 100 people in the area, like, what do you love about um, Oracle Park? I think you'd get 100 different answers. So that's what we started to kind of rally around is it's not, <clears throat> it's not the one um, feature. It's the 100 little stories. And so what that dr- drove us is like, look, we need to, we need to think about, you know, how to optimize the experience and create unique experiences across the board, not just in one area. Um, so I, 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 
I think, and as we've seen it coming together, you know, we're, we got a few months of construction left. Uh, we get the keys August 1st, first concert Metallica on, on, with the San Francisco symphonies on September 6th. Um, you know, but, but I think it's coming together nicely, but, but to answer your question more, more directly, I think one of the things, and, and by the way, the group, our, our leadership team has been to every arena in the NBA over the last several years. I think I've been to 23 or 24 arenas in, in that span. So you, you do, you do long tours with, with these teams to understand and talk to them. Like, you know, what, what, what would you do differently if you had to do it over again? And we kind of figured out things that we like, things that we don't like, you know, things we wanted to make sure we did or, or things we want to make sure we avoid in some cases. There, there's an arena where you take an escalator to get to the um, club level. You have to take an escalator up and then you have to get off that and take another escalator back down because it doesn't stop at that, that level in the middle. And it's like, you know, it was brain damage to see that. So you simple things like that where you're like, this should be common sense, but okay, let's note to self, have the escalator stop on every floor. But that, that, that's a stupid example. But the, um, so one of the things that we, we spent a lot of time and, and um, we invested a lot in uh, were, were our lobbies. So when you, when you go to a game at Oracle, you walk in and you're kind of in the concourse, which is how a lot of buildings are. Um, FedEx Forum's one where they have a, a pretty nice lobby area. We will actually have two. So we have two main entrances, which is, which is unique. Um, and both have huge volume, like high ceiling, huge uh, gathering places, lobbies, uh, to really create that sense of arrival. Um, so when you walk in and, and, and from there, you, from one of the lobbies, you're looking out one, you're, you're looking out uh, to the plaza, out to the city. The other one, you're looking out to the water, which is spectacular as well. Um, so, so we think that's, that's a huge, uh, uh, thing. The other thing that's going to be interesting is in San Francisco, you have to spend 1% of your budget on public art. Uh, and when you're spending, when your when your budget is, uh, has a B in it, uh, for billion, that, that 1% is a, is a significant amount of money. So we've, we've, we spent a lot of time figuring out how we we're going to do that. And we, we ended up, um, um, working with a, um, European artist by the name of Olafur Eliasson, who's building this unbelievable sculpture, that, uh, sculpture, excuse me, that'll sit, um, in front of our, our secondary main entrance. And, uh, I can't give you too many details on what that's going to be, but, uh, what I can tell you is we think that's going to be really an iconic, um, thing in the Bay area and just nationally, like you think of something like the bean in Chicago, you know, that, that people go and want to take the selfies with, we think, we think Oliver has, has concepted and, and is finishing up building something that is going to be, um, on that ilk. Um, you know, that'll be a, a tourist destination, something that everybody has to see. Uh, so we think that, the, and that's right in front of one of our entrances. So we think that that'll be, uh, that'll be really, really unique. Oh, I love hearing about all this. I cannot wait for this to come to fruition and see the Chase Center at some point. But I mean, we could go down a million different rabbit holes. I, I know you got to get going here in a minute. So let's go back to you for a second. How do you break down your days? How do you break down your week for most productivity? It's a constant um, battle, Sean, I got to tell you, um, because it's, you know, it, you want to be available um, you know, for, for, for team, for team members that, that want to, to talk and, and get advice or, you know, work through challenges that we're having. Um, and so, you know, a lot of it, you know, if I didn't do anything, um, my, I'd have a full calendar, you know, just meetings all day. And then at some point you got to find time to, to make phone calls, return phone calls, and you got to find time, uh, to answer emails. I get, you know, three, four, 500 emails a day. Um, and so when you're in meetings, you know, all day, eight to six or whatever, whatever the hours are, and then you're, you know, you're at every game, it's hard to find that time. So it's, it's constantly trying to figure out what that balance is. Cause you know, we talked about the intellectual curiosity and being proactive. It's hard to do that when you're just reactively, you know, accepting meetings that get put on your calendar. So 
constantly working with um, with uh, with my assistant, who's awesome, to to figure out the best way to kind of maximize both of our time. Um, we haven't found the right answer, but it you know you, you try and find gaps in the day, so you have you have a chance to to take a step back and think, uh, and, and 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 you know I'll come in every day with a to do list, and I kind of have a uh, the way I try and organize myself is I have a, a long term to do list like projects that need to get done over the next X months or a year or whatever, so longer term things that I'm that I and we are working on. Um, and then, and then a shorter term to do list, like what do I need to get done in the next couple of days sort of thing. So I try and, I try and stay organized in that respect, but you know, every, every day is different and travel and all these things. So you're, you know, you're, you're, you're working to be as efficient as you can. But you know, the other thing I look at is like, it, it, it's not as much about what I need to get done. It's more about the team. I mean, if, if I can help our, our team, um, be as efficient, um, with their time and maximize that, that, that opportunity, um, I think that that becomes a great use of my time. So, you know, how do I, how do I, how do I, and we empower our team to be the best they can be and provide that, that leadership and, and guidance and help, uh, to really empower them to, to really drive, um, drive our business. Yeah. Efficiency seems to be key for you with everything you have going on. You're also an owner, LAFC, one of the MLS teams. How'd that come to be? Yeah, it's been fun. So, so Peter Gruber, who I've, I've talked a little bit about, um, probably not enough, uh, has been unbelievable, um, for the Warriors, but for me personally. Um, and so, uh, when Peter was looking at investing in LAFC, and this is certainly before we had a name for the team or he, or they had a name for the team. And he, he was calling me, um, I remember the first time he called me about it, I was, it was around my birthday. I think it was 2012 or 13. And, uh, and I was in, um, wine country with my wife. I was like, a, I think it was a Saturday and he called and I didn't, I didn't have my phone with me, um, which is crazy in this day and age. But so I, so he left me a message. I called, I called him back. And so he, he was asking me certain things. Um, just, he, he had questions and needed help, guidance, thoughts, um, on some of the ticketing aspects that they were working through as they were thinking about making this investment, uh, which by the way, speaks to how Joe and Peter run this team. I mean, he's, Peter Gruber has all the experience in the world and he's asking me, right. <laughs> uh, for help, um, which was, which was pretty interesting, um, and pretty empowering. Um, and so we had some of those conversations and then at one point he was like, you know, you can, you can get in on this with me if you want. And I was like, okay. And I kind of was like, yeah, yeah. But, but, but it came up a couple more times. And then when it came down to it, you know, the, the, the guys working on the team called me and Peter wants to offer you, here's the amount of money and here's how it works. Do you want to do it? So, so this really came from Peter Gruber. Um, he gave myself, uh, Rick Waltz, our president and, and Kirk Lakeb, who's our assistant uh, general manager and, and, uh, VP GSW ventures. He gave the three of us the opportunity to be a part of this with him. So that, that, that's how it came about. And, uh, it's been unbelievable. I mean, I think we have 31 owners, um, and, and, you know, Peter and the team were smart in in bringing together a group that, um, you know, he didn't need our, 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 uh, financial capital. Um, he needed our, I think what he was looking for was our, our emotional and intellectual capital is what he would say. So, you know, bringing in a diverse group of people that, that could help the team in a lot of different ways. Uh, so it's been really fun. I mean, we, John Thorington's our GM, Tom Penn's the president, Larry Friedman, um, and, and, and all the owners, it's been, it's been a fun ride. And, and look, we launched last year. I think the team's done a great job of creating quickly a, a really recognizable brand. And we've been great on the pitch too. We made the playoffs last year in our first year. And right now we've played six games this season. We've won five of them with one tie. Carlos Vela leads the league in goals and assists. We also have Diego Rossi second in goals and Diamande uh, second in assists. So we, our goal differential in six games is 19 to five. So it's been awesome. But, but the overall experience, look, it's, it's all 
uh, for me, it's all been because of Peter Guber is, is how it all started. But it's been a it's been an unbelievable uh, experience so far, and really looking forward to, to the future with LAFC. Yeah, that sounds like an unbelievable experience. Some of the other owners, Tony Robbins, Will Ferrell, Magic Johnson. So you're certainly in good company. I'm assuming some of those games are pretty entertaining. I know you've got to get going. Playoffs start on Saturday for you. A- any last words? Excitement heading into the playoffs for you guys? Yeah, we're. I mean, look, we're we're. Again, 50% current business, 50% Chase Center. So excited about Chase Center, excited about the playoffs. I mean, you know, I, I think people have different thoughts when you when you look in the media on what's going to happen. But we, we really enjoy enjoy the, um, you know, enjoy the ride. What Peter Gruber always says is if you're just living for, you know, he was in the movie business. So he, he refers to the Academy Awards. If you're just looking at, and the winner is, you know, for that moment when you actually win the championship in our case, you know, is what you're, is what you're after, you're, you're missing it. It's the journey uh, that really matters. So that, that's what we focus on is not taking for granted what we have with our team and with our organization, but really enjoying every bit of the journey, whether, you know, whether it was the last season at Oracle, the last game on Sunday night, which was an amazing tribute for our fans. We have the best fans in the world and, and now getting ready for this, for the next part of the journey, uh, which, which will be the, the playoff run, which we hope is a long one that goes into June. Uh, you know, and then, and then we transition to Chase Center and, you know, it, when Chase Center is done, that's not, we didn't finish. Uh, that's just the beginning. Um, and so we're, we're looking forward to, a to a, to an unbelievable jersey, uh, unbelievable journey as we move forward. Yeah. Incredible note and advice to end on Brandon. How can the listeners best stay connected with you? So Twitter, uh, Twitter's probably the best. I'm on Twitter a lot. So you can see, you'll see a lot of warriors in LAFC and that's, that's, uh, at B Schneider. Awesome. Well, we'll have all that linked up in the show notes. Good luck with the playoffs, getting the Chase Center up and running. This was truly an honor and a a fun time for me. So thanks a lot for joining us on What Got You There. Uh, Thank you, Sean. Enjoyed it quite a bit. Uh, Take care. Hey, guys, I want to tell you about the brand I'm obsessed with right now. And you guys know I'm pretty obsessive about the brands I work with, especially when it comes to athletic apparel. You guys need to check out 10,000. You need to head to 10,000.cc. And you guys can enter code WGYT and you're going to receive 20%, yes, 20% off your entire order. Why do I love 10,000? 10,000 created the only training shorts you'll ever need. They do so by simplifying your options to deliver three premium shorts that perfectly cover all the ways you train. They have one built for versatility, another for durability, and one super lightweight, perfect for one of those runs or Whatever else you do for fitness, no matter what you do, they have you covered. CrossFit, running, spin, yoga, lifting, or your weekend adventure, it doesn't matter what you do for fitness. They have a short for every way you train. They make it super simple, too, to find the right short. Just pick the short that's best for you, your lifestyle, personalize it with your individual needs with a custom liner and inseam options, and start getting after it. Not sure if they have the right short? No need to worry, you guys. Make a return or exchange. They offer free shipping, free exchanges, and free returns on every order. Like I said, 10,000 is my favorite brand right now. I am wearing their apparel all the time when I'm working out. I can't recommend them enough. Head to 10,000.cc, enter code WGYT, and you've got 20% off your entire order. You guys know how much I love travel. So I think you're really going to like this next brand. That brand is Globekick. Head to Globekick.com, check out what they've got going on, and you can also enter code WGYT to receive 10% off. Globekick makes your travel dreams a reality. They make it easy to discover, plan, and enjoy unforgettable adventures. And you're wondering what some of those adventures are? How about a yoga retreat in Italy? Cage diving with great whites in South Africa? 
or their most recent trip was dog sledding and chasing the Northern Lights. Yes, they saw the Northern Lights. I think you guys would love checking them out. So head to globekick.com, enter code WGYT, and you've got 10% off. What got you there with Shonda Laney? Uh, what got you there with Shonda Laney? What got you there with Shonda Laney? Uh, what got you there with got you, got you? Thanks for listening to another episode of What Got You There. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a review on iTunes and also share with your friends. Thanks so much. Looking forward to talking with you next time. If you want to stay up to date on all things I'm working on behind the scenes and everything we've got going on at What Got You There, head over to whatgotyouthere.com. You'll also be able to see more on podcast guests and what they're doing. Thanks to Justin Great for providing us the intro and outro song. If you like his music and want to find out more about what he's working on, head over to justingreat.com.